Gold back below 1500. Is this the final pullback that we've been expecting? The 10 year, not so coincidentally, has moved from the 1.42 level to 1.97, flirting with 2%. That hasn't happened in a while. The Dow and the major US indices, meanwhile, continue to make new highs. Boeing has gotten off easy. We've meant to talk about them a couple of times and they're criminal. I'm going to try to curse less on this podcast because a good friend of mine told me I should. Um, so yeah, we're going to talk about their fuckery and all the stuff that they've been doing. We're going to talk about the largest study on school shooters since Columbine and the great insights that were delivered to us by our secret service, vape lung diseases, dueling dinosaurs, and long-term data storage. This is Gerardo Del Real along with my co-host, Mr. Nick Hodge. This is Bizarro World, episode 43, fresh from New Orleans. Nick, how are you, sir? I only know a little bit about a tiny bit of that stuff you just mentioned. And if I'm being honest, I missed the first 20 seconds because I was having technical difficulty that I was able to figure out during your intro. So I hope you did a good intro. No worries. We'll see, you know, good, bad. It's all subjective, right? I felt okay about it. Um, Let's talk New Orleans. We were fortunate enough to uh, be invited by Mr. Brian London to present again. You were extremely busy. You moderated a panel. You had a presentation in the main ballroom. Room, you had a tour. Um, I, 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 you had the presentation with me for Bizarro World. We did the podcast live. That was an absolute blast. Um, had a good opportunity to catch up with companies that we are familiar with, and we got to kick the tires on a few new companies. So I'd love to get your take now that we've had a week or so to kind of process it on on what you saw there, and then we'll talk gold here in just a bit. Um, some of the things that were obvious that we touched on, I think, in the podcast that we did live from New Orleans was um, just the the temperament of the crowd and the larger size of the crowd than there has been in previous years. And that's to be expected with the gold price finally breaking out to um, what was 60-year highs at the time. Um, it's pulled back a bit. We'll talk about that. Um, the younger age of the crowd. So... Mm. Um, you know, after, after I give my talk in the ballroom, I go and sit in Brian London's gold club room that, you know, people pay to ask questions to the writers one-on-one or to the, cause to you're the fancy Nick. One, cause you're fancy. One-on-one. No, <laughs> no. And, and, and there was a, a gentleman in there who was younger than I am, you know, in his early thirties that had made some money in, in real estate and sort of saw the writing on the wall for, for broad based equities and, and debt levels and interest rates, all the things that we talk about and why natural resources, precious metals specifically are due for a bull market. And he was just asking all the right questions. And then um, you led a walking tour as well, Gerardo. And I got to talk to, I think, I believe it was the, the brother and sister that came along. He's also my age, 34, 35 years old is a, uh, a real tour in Montana, and they had been there for the second year in a row, uh, doing due diligence, realize it's time to get invested a bit more heavily in precious metals, and we're trying to come up with good ideas to do that. So, um, Shout, that shout out to stuff. Mr. and Miss Miles, by the way, brother and sister, I believe, but they were awesome to hang out with. They'd been there. Um, she had been there for, this was her second year, if I'm not mistaken. I believe this was his first year, but they were a blast. Um, sorry to interrupt. I just wanted to shout them out because they emailed, Graham actually emailed and was asking about the podcast and he wanted to make sure that he was subscribed for it so Graham it was an awesome time and it was great chatting with you and thanks for uh, joining us in our tour of five he won some gold coins or some silver coins I should say back to your uh, back to your points apologies 
And he offered me the opportunity to hunt on some acreage that he has access to in Montana. So instantly won my heart as well. <laughs> um, so we talked about the more people there, the younger people there, the, the I guess, better attitude. Um, what I did see, and it's a question that I repeatedly come back to, is what's the catalyst for all this? And there was a gentleman in our workshop who asked a bunch of questions about this after we got done recording the podcast. But it's like um, everybody knows, right? It's like everybody knows the emperor has no clothes. Everybody knows about the wizard behind the curtain. Everybody knows about the debt levels and the negative interest rates and the, the depletion of reserves. And, you know, I heard it a hundred times from presenters at the conference and I read about it every day. Ray Dalio was writing about it again this week about how there's so much cheap paper chasing these assets and um, how there's so much cheap money that venture capitalists are just funding and funding and funding what they think are unicorns, but that don't make any money. And in some cases, um, these unicorns, tech unicorns are saying, look, we don't need any more money. And the venture capitalists are saying, fuck you, you're going to take more money. Or we're going to we're going to fund your competitors. And he's just talking about how, um, you know, it's a ticking time bomb, but no one knows. And I, I guess if you know you're a billionaire, you're much smarter than I am. It's like, when does the when does that ticking when does the countdown on the ticking time bomb hit zero? Point well taken. Point well taken. I'll say this. Um, the Fed's balance sheet has increased $300 billion in less than two months, right? If repo funding continues at this pace, the January 2015 high will be, taking out, will be taken out by late February at the latest. So that's $800 billion of what the Fed wants to tell me is non-QE stimulus in six months. It's the quickest pace since QE1 in 2009. And that that comes from uh, Bianco Research, Mr. Jim Bianco. And so this is, we're, we're back to expanding balance sheets. We're back to supporting asset classes that require people to be in the markets. It's not a coincidence that we're hitting all-time highs in the major U.S. indices the way we said would happen, right? It's not a coincidence that the 10-year is trickling up. The interesting thing about it is how long the central banks will be able to get away with it this time around because the the, the interest to service the debt just in the U.S. Let's be U.S.-centric for a quick second. You made a good point earlier today in your Wall Street uh, underground letter that under Wall Street's underground profits letter that the, 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 the interest just to service the debt next year will outpace um, all of the other spending that we have, right? Military spending, um, defense and non-defense spending. And so it, it, it can't continue. Something has to give and it will. Um, I responded to that gentleman by, 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 by stating what, what I've believed for the past three years that we're going to have the bond blow up out of Europe before, you know, anything else really moves because they are the dirtiest dirty shirt in the central bank laundry basket. And I think the U S is the cleanest dirty shirt, but regardless of what it is, um, you know, the, 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 it's going to hit the fan here soon. And I think that 2020 is going to be an absolutely spectacular time um, to be speculating in the gold space, in the gold juniors. I mentioned during the live podcast in New Orleans that there would be a lot of volatility. 
um, the gentleman that, that, that asked the point, you know, what's going to be the catalyst had a great point to me afterwards, privately fascinating gentleman, by the way, we had a great conversation at the, at the closing reception, but he had a good point. He said, well, when you say volatility, what, what does that mean? You should define that. And I said, that's an excellent point and I'll make it a point to do it during the next podcast. Um, what I mean is I think you're going to see a hockey stick of a of a US stock market with foreign capital coming into the US and the market going parabolic. This is the most hated bull market that I've been around for the major US indices because underlying economic growth and wage disparity it just it doesn't make sense, right? For the stock market to be where it's at. But it's being supported by all of this cash, and there's a lot more cash supporting that market now that the Fed has decided to step in and expand its balance sheet. And so I say all that to say volatility means 100 to $200 moves in the gold price to the upside, then $100 back, then another two. I, I think this is going to be a weekly phenomenon in 2020. Um, that's my rant on that. It's incredible that... Um, the Fed has just gone back to doing what it was doing in the teeth of the financial crisis 10 mm. years ago. And it's almost no one is talking about it, right? I mean, the numbers I read, you just cited some there, but they, they said they were going to spend something like $60 billion just through the end of this month, which is like three weeks away. And then they were going to continue with that through June 2020. So in my mind, like you say, it's hundreds of billions of dollars. And that's just buying the, the treasury bills. That's separate from the from the repurchase agreement market. Agreed. No, agreed. I think, again, you know, you talk about Bizarro World. I said it in New Orleans. I think it's the most uh, appropriately named podcast in the history of podcasts for what we do for a living, right? We make our living opining on the junior resource space. You make your living not just in the junior resource space, but, you know, in tech and and, and crypto and cannabis and, and, frankly, wherever the opportunity is. And you've done very well. Um, for your subscribers and your followers and your readers and, and for yourself. So, you know, our job is to look at these trends and try to get ahead of them. In my case, I'm notoriously early. You know, the things that made sense to me in 2016 are finally starting to play out. If you've been a subscriber of mine for the last two or three years, you've made some money on some plays, but you've also lost some money just like I have. I've lost right alongside with you on a lot of the plays that that to me are no-brainers. Companies with market caps of two, three, four million dollars that have assets that far exceed that and management teams that know how to navigate through a bear market. Nobody cares right now, right? So it's interesting times. It's a bizarro world. Um, we speak a lot about societal issues and and and, and things of those sorts on the podcast, but remove all of that. If we're just looking at the markets, it's a bizarre world in the markets. That's very true. And so what do you make of, of the gold price action this week where, you know, we fly home from New Orleans, we're feeling good. Everybody's saying, <laughs> you know, 1600 is within sight. It's going to go straight up. And then, you know, you like boxing. So that boom, we just get caught with one in the jaw. I'm watching it right now. Just sink. It's at $1,458 an ounce. You and I talked about some key levels that need to hold. You want to talk about those and just sort of how this, you know, how you feel about this current sell-off in gold prices? Absolutely. The first thing I'll say is it's overdue. You know, we, we've we've been straight up for, for a few months, and I think the pullback, you know, I, I thought it would happen in October. I was a few weeks early. Um, beats being a few years early, but I was a few weeks early on, on that call, and, and we definitely got it. I had said that as long as we hold the 1474 on the daily, we'd be okay. We'd bounce right back up to that $1,500 mark. Well, we broke through that today, right? And immediately, sure yeah, and the minute we did, what happened? The algorithms kicked in, the bots kicked in, and we 
we, 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 we close today at 1460. So the next level that I'm watching on a monthly basis, on a closing basis, is, is 1465. And if, if we can hold 1465 on a monthly close, um, then I think we're off to the races again in December. Now, if we do break below 1465, I said it before on the way up, there wasn't a lot from 1374 right. up to 1500. Well, guess what? There's not a lot from 1500 down to 1374, right? It cuts both ways. We can't just enjoy the upside and say, hey, you know, we, we shot up from 1374 all the way to 1500. There wasn't a lot of resistance. Well, there's not a lot of resistance on the round trip ticket. So those are the, the, the levels to watch. We happen to be in an interesting predicament uh, because it's also tax loss selling season. So I know that you've had subscribers write in um, asking, you know, where are we getting the, where are we taking these tax losses? I know you had a couple of sell calls earlier today. I can tell you that I've paid more attention to my portfolio in the past month um, as far as what I'm getting rid of than I have in the past six months because frankly, it's the time to do it. So there's a couple of names in the portfolio that I'm going to be selling for tax loss purposes and 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 reinvesting, you know, the, the that position into other similar companies, albeit ones that have active exploration programs. Um, going into 2020, the advice that I would give everybody is make sure that if you don't dabble in the producers and the, the development stage companies, which which you should have some of, uh, because they've seen the, the the majority of the gains, frankly, in this in this rise in the gold price have gone to the producers because of the leverage, right? It makes sense. Um, but the de development stage companies and the explorers that I tend to gravitate towards for the most part, haven't participated. So make sure that you give yourself an opportunity in early 2020, once tax law season is over and people are replenishing their positions, um, to enjoy the re-rating up. And so you don't want to be stuck with explorers that are still biding their time, hoping for a better market. I want companies out there that have the ability to raise capital in these markets, not dilute too much in these markets, and that have a, a, a question to answer. Meaning, is there a deposit of significance here? Let's go put a, a drill on it and see what happens and answer that question. It can be no. It's exploration. We all get it. Most of the times, it's a no. But I want my subscribers and I want myself to have a shot at a significant win because, frankly, when you have a, a market cap of two, five, ten million dollars, it's not a lot of downside, right? It's 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 been brutal, but the 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 Darwinism nature of it has removed a lot of the downside. Yeah, and just like there's you know not a lot of resistance in the gold price between the prices you just mentioned, there's not a lot of resistance for these junior miners to go up a lot very quickly. And importantly, if you look at the major U.S. indices, I know it's the most hated bull market ever. There's no resistance overhead for the major U.S. indices, especially with a central bank, a Fed that's coming in and, and being very vocal about the fact that, hey, stock market, 401ks, don't worry about it. We got you. And speaking of, of, of stocks that have done incredibly well, we got to talk about uranium for a second. Um, <laughs> Because, um, gosh, well, for a couple of reasons. Um, one, it was a, a big analyst report out. I'm going to have to find it now in my email. But, um, you know, downgrading, downgrading stocks this week, basically saying that the bull market is taking has taken longer to materialize than anyone thought it would. And we're, we're cutting the prices on, you know, basically our entire nexus of uranium coverage. It was eight capital. Yep. And they cut, for example, let me just pick one, 
Um, they cut Cameco from a $15 price target to 13. They cut energy fuels from a $5.60 price target to 3.55. Um, they cut fission energy from 2.30 to $2. And so um, that's like throwing in the towel, right? That's like a capitulation when the analysts who are always rosy and who always have higher price targets on these companies <laughs> that are that are typically justified are saying, "Hey, no, it's time to to pull back a little bit, right?" And so, and then what happened? And then what happened? <laughs> they went up. <laughs> <laughs> well, they went up a little bit because of uh, you and I discussed this while we were in New Orleans. There was. Uh, the Cameco reported quarterly earnings and had some favorable things to say on their conference call. And by the time you guys are listening to this podcast, right, we always say we record on a Friday. It's out the following Monday, the 10th, which is, I guess, Sunday. We should be getting um, the the guidelines or the, the framework that the nuclear working group has put together to um, respond to Section 232, which has now been going on since July. And so I don't know, just, just something worth mentioning, right? Those equities in that space. And there's not a lot of them. There's only, you know, you can hold them all in, in two hands, the, the amount of quality uranium companies in the world, really. It's it's something you got to be paying attention to because um, that market has to turn as well. Agreed. And there are whispers, and I hate to engage in whispers, but let's engage in whispers for a little bit. The, you know, a, a whisper that I heard in New Orleans with somebody that has, you know, direct to semi-direct knowledge of everything going on behind the scenes mentioned to me that, you know, it could be a scenario where the administration decides to not publicize what the decision is and 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 use the cover of national security as a reason to not do so. He said, however, um, the, the, the administration is being encouraged um, to give the space a carrot, because let's be honest, a lot of the companies that were directly involved with petitioning for a, a, a change of policy, they got their market cap slashed in half when the can was kicked down the road, right? And so you can imagine these companies are, are lobbying behind the scenes to get something. If you're not going to just outright specify what the recommendations are, then at the very least, let the market and, and and people in the space know that there is there is there, there there is firm action being taken tangible action that you'll see in the market within the next month or two because i think everybody will 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 understand what that means and so what i'm hearing is that you know they they they, they may just decide that they are going to go ahead and allow us based companies um to sell in, into the market at a predetermined price. Would that be $50? Would that be $60? Well, it, you would think it has to be at least 50 because not very many companies are making money. Even with ISR projects, they're not making money below $50, right? So it'll be interesting. I think next week is going to be an incredibly interesting week in uranium. Um, let's hope so. We've had people much smarter than I and you, um, at least smarter than I, <laughs> call for a bull market in uranium for the last six years, right? So let's hope we get something. I don't think it's a coincidence that the companies that are leveraged to the U.S. have performed pretty well relative to the pullback and the sell-off back a few months ago. So fingers crossed. Let's see what happens on that front. Well, banks and corporations that don't need money have gotten it from the government in spades for the past 10 years. I'm not really a fan of it, but I suppose if it's going to be for a sector I'm invested in, right, then I'll go along with it. Agreed. Agreed. And 
I sh- we should say happy Veterans Day to all the vets here in the U.S. By the time you listen to this podcast, it'll be Monday. It'll be Veterans Day. Um, I've said a million times that 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 our veterans, our military, and firefighters are the people I have the utmost respect for, just because of how selfless um, what they do is. So happy Veterans Day to all the vets out there. Same, and you know, my I told my Veteran Day story uh, uh, months ago on this podcast with my neighbor Ali Noel, who didn't make it to this Veterans Day. So happy Veterans Day to Ali Noel. I like it. I like it. I like it. Um, absolutely. Well said. What else you got, Mister Mister Hodge? What, what do you want to touch on? We touched on the Dow, the ten-year New Orleans gold, uranium. Do we want to talk about the largest study on school shooters since Columbine? I think you do. I'm not abreast of the situation, but I'd love to be enlightened. <laughs> Uh, spoiler alert this is where me not cursing too much is gonna go out the fucking window so the u.s secret service dug into almost 50 school shootings this wasn't a study by your local academic this wasn't a study by even you know a branch of government that doesn't have the resources or the assets to be able to put together a comprehensive report um this was the u.s secret service that did this research right and they dug into almost 50 school shootings from the past 10 years, and they've identified some major red flags that could have prevented the tragedies and could stop future ones. I'll put a link to the article. This is how the article started. I said, excellent. I've been waiting for a research paper or a study that 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 delved deeply into, you know, the cause, the profile, all of this. So <laughs> here's what we get. There's no single profile of a school shooter. They vary in age, gender, race, grade level, and social characteristics. All right, cool. Um, but generally speaking, <laughs> students. It's funny, not funny. <laughs> it's funny, not funny. But generally speaking, students who commit school shootings expressed an interest in violence. Ooh, deep dive. They were bullied by their peers. Ooh, deep dive. And they regularly got in trouble at school. So I said, you got to be fucking kidding me, right? This is what you came up with. So I read a little further because I said, okay, maybe I'm being a bit judgmental. Maybe I'm not giving, you know, the article and, and the study the respect it deserves. This is the U.S. Secret Service that did this, right? So I said, let me, let me read on. Let me read on. So then I get to the part that says, while the researchers were careful to note that there isn't a specific profile of a potential school shooter, they did find a list of warning signs to look for. And I got excited. I said, this is where it's going to happen. We're going to get, you know, the, the, the in-depth insight that the U.S. Secret Service and its budget and its, its crack team of analysts are, 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 are known for, right? Or at least I thought they were known for. And so what we got, these are the warning signs, guys idolizing or looking to emulate other school shootings like Columbine and Sandy Hook. (laughs) So if you hear people emulating other school shootings, that might be a red flag. That might be a warning sign. Having a... We're we're back to trench coats. (laughs) Yep. Having a history of bad behavior and disciplinary actions in school, like being suspended or expelled. And the last one being bullied by their classmates, especially if the bullying was persistent. I mean, this is, this is what we got. Um, this is what we got. It's a, it's a waste. It's a waste. Like why, 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 why are we doing this? Um, and so the, the last part, and this is where the waste of my taxpayer dollars comes in. And this is why I really get offended by stupid studies like this. 
that don't amount to anything, amount to anything. The information from the study will be used in training sessions to help educators and other community members understand warning signs, according to the AP. There are more than 40 training sessions scheduled already, and the Secret Service trained about 7,500 people in 2018. You know how worried I got when I read that, Nick? You mean we had to train educators on these warning signs? We had to have more than 40 training sessions for 7,500 people in 2018, and it had to be done by the Secret Service. We could have done this in an email. This yeah, is where your this... tax dollars are going. You know, we have the largest deficit that we've had, and I don't know how ever. Um, globally, we have, it's a clusterfuck of debt. We've, we've, we've burdened, um, and I'll get to the funny thing <laughs> that I found this week that apparently I'm too old to get when it actually actually comes out but i caught on this week um yeah we, we we burdened the next generation you know the baby boomers did with all of this debt and all this entitlement and all of this we deserve this and we deserve that and you figure out how to pay for it um and and this is the stuff that we're still spending taxpayer dollars on so anyway yeah it makes me upset um because i want a real study i want something of substance i want you know how many of these kids were on medications? I want what type of medications? I want I I, I want a deep dive by people a lot smarter than me, um, you know, so that we can help prevent some of this stuff in 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 a way that's substantial. I know we can't stop every person that's troubled from shooting up the school. I completely understand that, but we can we can do better than this. Come on. And you wonder what they what they teach at the training and, and who's getting paid to do that. I'm sure it's some private company that has a government contract to do this training like Alice. I don't know if we've talked about the Alice training on the show before, but, you know, my dad is involved with the, the training of bus drivers and scheduling of bus routes and such in the county where he lives. And he's got to go to these Alice trainings. Have you heard of it? A-L-I-C-E. Or have your kids had to partake in any Alice training? I have not, but I have heard of it from you before one time. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll yeah. have to put a link up. I'm not intimately familiar, but it's basically they scare the, the daylights out of all these kids, right? They yep. put them through like active shooter drills and, and tell them what they got to do. And and I, I'm not sure. And, and maybe in some cases, and, and, and call me crazy, it's, it's like give someone who hadn't thought of it an idea before since you're putting all the kids through it, right? Like. Maybe some kid had never heard of mass shootings or had the idea to do a mass shootings. And you're just putting millions of kids through drills, like showing them basically what happened. It just, I don't know, it leaves a bad taste in my mouth. And it's not a government thing. So I know they're paying a private company to do all this Alice training because it's a, like I say, a private company, Alice Training Institute. I'll put a link up, alicetraining.com. And, and you're right, there's got to be... Um, you know, with the methods of, of research and analysis that we have these days and the, the, the access to data that we have. I mean, you know, we've got to know what these kids web browsing history was, what their socioeconomic status was, you know, what's the status of gun ownership at their home and how they acquired it. Like all that has to be able to to be able to be to get pulled together, maybe not by the Secret Service, but all the data certainly exists. When you would think if anybody's got access to the data, it'd be the Secret Service. <laughs> right. I mean, I, I, I listened to the, the, the Edward Snowden interview on the Joe Rogan podcast. We linked to yep. it last week or the week before that. And they have access to every keystroke that I've ever, you know, touched on my whatever device I've, I've, I've done it on. And so you would think we could get a more comprehensive study. And again, it's a shell game, people. It's a shell game where the people in power take tax dollars um, and, and, and 
use it to go and do these sham studies and and pay a private company that they probably have ownership stakes in and pocket the money basically they take our money and go use it on bullshit like this so the funny thing that came out of that is i was talking about you know the baby boomers and saddling the new generation with debt is the cool new saying amongst the young <laughs> to the older bo- baby boomers <laughs> have you heard this nick Okay, okay, boomer. Okay, boomer is so great. I love that so much. And you know why I love it so much? Because the boomers that get most offended are the same type of boomers that were calling the youngsters snowflakes, right? And the snowflakes are like, whatever. And now the youngsters are like, okay, boomer. And they're just like outraged and up in arms. And, you know, <laughs> I think it's hilarious. I think it's funny. Um, the kids, it's the, it's fourth turning time. The kids are upset. I was everybody. just going to say, it's it's not a fourth turning at all, right? When the generations are, are having nicknames for each other and, and, and battling for power, that's precisely um, what it's all about. Absolutely. Absolutely. We've talked about, let's talk vaping a little bit. We've talked about how idiotic, more, you know, dumbness from our, from our government, right? Um, how stupid and idiotic it was. Um, to ban, you know, all of the the, the, the the vaping devices and flavors and this before, again, we had some real research uh, to back it up because it was just pushing people towards real cigarettes. Um, and that wasn't effective either. And oh, by the way, real cigarettes actually have a track record of killing a whole ton more people um, than vaping, right? But it does look like a breakthrough has been made. The CDC says it's made a breakthrough in finding the possible cause of deadly vaping illness have you read this yet nick um not anything since the vitamin e what do you got vitamin e that that, that that's it vitamin e acetate they now got some specifics uh, a compound used in supplements cosmetics and vaping products was detected in all 29 lung tissue samples from patients that health officials tested and so the fact that it was in every single one of them there wasn't anything else um any other toxin that shared um you, you know that, that that was present i should say in in everybody's system so they're calling it a breakthrough um you know thc was found in 23 of the 29 samples uh but that wouldn't account for the other six nicotine was detected in 16 samples again that wouldn't account for the other 13 and and so it came, you know, the the, the, the the samples came from 10 different states across the country. And, you know, I read this and I say, okay, this actually is some decent research. There's there, there's there's some teeth to this, right? You can actually uh, make a case here. So at least they have something to follow up on. Um, and then maybe we can get into cigarettes one day and investigate what kills people. Oh, we already know. <laughs> got it. Got it. Got it. Okay. <laughs> That's all I got. Make me happy, Nick. <laughs> what do well, you got? <laughs> man, I mean, it's no, it's incredible that, you know, they want to go and ban all these things with stacked up against the amount of people that tobacco and, and alcohol kills. And we talked about it before. Alcohol is has victims as well when you when you factor in the the drunk driving. Here in Washington State, they banned the the flavored cartridges, both on the tobacco um and the and the thc side and so all the dispensaries around here have been having like flash sales and you know whatever doorbuster sales to get rid of all their flavored vape products and you know i think we did it months ago on this podcast but i'll put the link up again it's sort of like the journey of a vape cartridge and how um all this black market stuff came to be right because it's it's pretty easy to you know buy a pallet of these these vaporizer cartridges from china and get them delivered and then 
buy over-the-counter chemicals, flavors, and and oil backers like vitamin E acetate, right, uh, to make these cartridges. And and if I'm not mistaken, the people that were getting sick were mostly, if not all, um, black market cartridges, at least from the stories that were surfing originally. And so I'll put the link up again to how easy it is to 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 generate a, a cartridge that's not been through testing um, or vetting, et cetera. And so just a word to the wise, you know, I mean, if you're if you want to vape uh, tobacco alcohol, try to do so with with ones with the fewest additives possible, just like eating. Right. There's we've had the organic craze now for years. Right. Everybody wants organic berries, organic, whatever, bananas because of the least pesticides and the, the least amount of additives. Well, the same goes for what you put in your lungs is what you're putting in your stomach as far as I'm concerned. So just be smart. I love your example, Nick, because I was thinking of a, a of a, <laughs> a completely different example. <laughs> I love that yours was, you know, buy buy your vapes and your vape cartridges and and all of that. Um, the same way that you buy, you know, your organic food and 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 everything else. And I was thinking, you know, you should put at least the same amount of due diligence in in how you buy your vape and your cartridges and all of that and where you get it from as you do your real drugs, right? Because America is great usually at vetting how to get and source their drugs. At least put that much effort, people. I mean, if you're already doing it for the illegal stuff and we know America is, right? Um, you should you should, you should, put a little effort on this other stuff because it's going in your body just like everything else. Correct. Awesome. Can we talk about dueling dinosaurs? Because that sounds like something that would make me smile. Oh, you're going to love the dueling dinosaurs. So I wish I had a piano, um, I would play it. There's a bar here called the du- Dueling Pianos and it's a great bar. And if I had a piano, I would play it for you. It's a great, I don't know if I've been to that one, but going to watch Dueling Pianos is a fun, fun time. Um, dueling Dinosaurs, so, and this relates to, to things we do like mineral rights and exploration and stuff, because you can own a piece of property, but you might not own um, what's under the property, right? Because you can sell the mineral rights, just like farmers do in natural gas and oil basins and, and ranchers do in Nevada for mineral exploration, right? They still farm uh, or ranch cattle on the surface, but they sold off all or a part of the mineral rights that are under that land. Have I made sense so far? Absolutely. So in Montana, it's just east of where I am, there's a big basin, the Missoula Basin. I think I've talked about this on the podcast where there was a giant lake, um, you know, hundreds of thousands or millions of years ago that uh, ice wall broke, all the water washed uh, to the Pacific, created the Missoula Basin and carved out the beautiful scenery um, in the area where I live now, south of Spokane. So as a result of this big basin, there is oil and gas, there is mineral exploration, and there is also fossils. And so this couple had bought this ranch um, in, in the Missoula Basin around Helena, Montana, and they allowed somebody to look for fossils on their ranch. And lo and behold, this fossil hunter named Clayton Phillips, no, Clayton Phipps, excuse me, a paleontologist, discovered not one, but two giant dinosaurs, one 22-foot-long carnivorous theropod and one 28-foot-long, <laughs> that's nine meters for you Canadians listening, ah, well done. Long, Hello to our Canadian plant, friends. <laughs> plant-eating ceratopopsian, whatever that is. So here's the point. Okay. We'll put up a link. All right. Thank you. <laughs> the, the, the people, the husband and wife that owned the property were like, great, we're about to G off. We're going to sell these 
uh, fossils for millions of dollars, $5 million they were going to sell the, the fossils for. And so I guess the people that are in the market to buy these fossils were like, yeah, sweet, awesome, great fossils. We'll buy them for $5 million. Can you prove to us that you own them? And this is where it gets really interesting. The people that own the ranch only own one third of the mineral rights. When they bought the property back in 2005, I believe it was, part of the deal was that the original owners, the vendors of the property, retained two thirds of the mineral rights. And so now there's been an ongoing court battle as to what dinosaur bones are. Are they minerals <laughs> or are they not minerals? Because if they're minerals, then the people that currently own the property only get one third of the money. And the other people, the previous owners, will get two thirds. But if they are not minerals, um, the current owners will obviously you know, get all of the money. And so, and this is bizarro world, one court in Montana ruled that, yes, they are part of the Earth's firmament. They're 66 million years old. Um, they are, in fact, minerals. And then an appeal, of course, and the appeal court says, no, scientifically speaking, they are not minerals. And so we have a decision coming down. It hasn't been issued yet, but the Supreme Court in Montana has heard the arguments and they will soon be deciding what many a stoner, I'm sure, has argued about in their dorm room. <laughs> are dinosaur bones minerals, bro? <laughs> That did indeed make me happy. I have an antidote to that really quick. <laughs> there was there was an inmate who had been sentenced to life in prison, and he died while in prison. But minutes later, they revived him, and this guy actually filed an appeal to the court saying that he had served his life sentence because he technically died. <laughs> was he successful? Or just nah, they told him to fuck off. <laughs> But hey, you got a life sentence. What's the downside, right? So Gerardo, our mineral, our, our, our dinosaur bones that are 66 million years old, minerals or not? <laughs> I, I am not smart enough to answer that question. I am not. I am curious to hear what you think. Um, I mean. I, it's, it's, it's tough. Yeah, it's I can tough. see both sides of the arguments. And obviously the judges have seen both sides of the um arguments as well the one who said it was not a mineral and i like this argument a lot says that it wasn't fungible right you can't go dig up another fossil on the other side of the world and sell it for the same price like you can go up and and, and drill for a barrel of oil and sell it for the current going rate or or, or mine an ounce of gold or sell it and sell it for the going rate so in that respect it's not a mineral and i kind of like that argument uh, that's great <laughs> that's great did um did, did did you get a chance to catch up on the Elon Musk versus David Einhorn feud? Um, I, no, mm -mm. It, it's funny. Okay. All right, so David Einhorn is a hedge fund manager that has been famously short Tesla, right? Alleging fraud, and and then you know we've talked talked about Elon. I think he's brilliant. I think he's one of the most brilliant people we have uh, on the planet right now, frankly. But you know he's he's notorious for. Now, under delivering and taking a long time to deliver on the stuff that he says he's going to deliver, despite giving very specific dates on most of those things. However, he usually does deliver in fairness to him. Anyhow, he delivered a great quarter and the stock ran up and David Einhorn was very short the stock. And so 
Elon tweeted, and <laughs> we'll put a link up, tweeted a letter that he sent David Einhorn. I'm going to read a part of it. He says, dear Mr. U well, he starts it with the emoji of, 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 of the little yellow emoji dude kiss, blowing a kiss to David Einhorn, which I thought was hilarious. And then he says, dear Mr. Unicorn, fabulous name, by the way. <laughs> That's what he says, not me. We, re we, re we read your Greenlight Capital Q3 2019 investor letter in which you make numerous false allegations against Tesla. It is understandable that you wish to save face with your investors. Given the losses you suffered from Tesla's successful third quarter, especially since you've had several down years in performance and a sharp drop in assets under management from $15 billion to $5 billion. This is how billionaires flex, by the way. You have our sympathies, he says. <laughs> we also recognize your desire to feel somehow relevant with your Tesla short position at a time when your friends in the Tesla short community have been noticeably recoiling from the public disclosure as the world is increasingly recognizing Tesla's contributions to science, safety, and a sustainable environment. To the extent that you have any desire to learn about the amazing progress the people of Tesla are making, and I'll leave the letter there, and I'll let y'all read the rest of it later on because it was it was absolutely hilarious. But I think it's funny how billionaires fight and, and how they disagree. Um, this is, you know, very public. And it brings me to my next thing I want to touch on just briefly. Michael Bloomberg, another billionaire, has decided that he wants his shot at the White House. Um, I would love to hear your thoughts on this because I think this will have – um, a consequence for the election and for Trump supporters, I think it's a positive and for everyone else. Yep. For everyone else, I think it's a negative, but I'd love to hear your thoughts. Um, I don't like the um, Mr. Bloomberg very much as a independent contrarian leaning, like to think for myself individual. I think he has been very want to use the government's arm and fist to hammer things down on the public that should be the public's decision, like which size soda they want to consume, for example. Um, and so exactly right. Him entering the race is, is, is splitting the, the left side and then pushes me more towards the center, center right. You know, I don't want, I don't want a guy in office who is going to tell me what size soda I have to buy. And, and and that's just one of the things. And so I'm with you. This is a, this is a positive for Trump and um, very interested to see if he he's um, actually I'm interested to see how much access his money buys him as far as being able to get on the debate stage and, and getting on ballots, um, et cetera. That's something that a campaign without his resources um, would not be able to do. Um, like you said, it's interesting how billionaires flex. Right. And that'll be that'll be one of the ways. But. Um, not a not a fan of, fan of Bloomberg here, and and I don't think, I, you know, I like to think I understand what the silent majority is thinking. I, I kind of saw Trump winning late late in the election cycle in in 2016. I saw, I sort of saw that materializing, and yeah, I don't think the the Bloomberg bodes well for the for the Democratic side. Agreed, and you know, in part because Elizabeth Warren seems to have the upper hand right now, and she's, I think, erroneously making the 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 center of her campaign, you know, bashing billionaires, regardless of how they made it. Right? Um, she had a back and forth with Bill Gates, where you know she said, "I don't think somebody like that would even sit with me." And you know, Bill Gates was like, "I eradicated malaria. Of course, I would sit with you." Which makes her look completely unreasonable, right? Um, mm -hmm. and, and so now a billionaire comes into 
into the, the, the race. And I think it's going to take some votes. You know, there's a lot of folks on Wall Street who have who lean left, who have said, we're not supporting Elizabeth Warren. We will not write checks for this. And so you now have Bloomberg coming in um, with deep, deep pockets, doesn't need Wall Street support, will get it. Um, I think all it does is divide votes on the left. So I think this is a good thing for Mr. Trump. Agree. And the New York Times had a great interactive graphic this week about everything that Elizabeth Warren is promising and and um, how much it's going to cost. I would love to put that graphic up for you because it's a lot of money that she is proposing spending. Agreed. And 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 of which I don't think she's, she's going to be able to, to cover the cost. It's it's over 30 trillion dollars in spending, Gerardo. That's a lot. <laughs> that's a lot it's larger than the current entire national debt yeah it's a lot it, it's why i think the campaign isn't is it is it you know uh, sustainable and i think that you know if if the left wants somebody else to take the presidency um they better hope that the right pushes donald trump out or convinces him to just step down and go you know go use his last years in the world you know he's in his 70s and he doesn't live the healthiest of lifestyle right um you know, sleeping with porn stars and drinking soda all day and fast food and all that. He doesn't look like he's got 30 more years left. If I'm Donald Trump, I say, you know what? I'm going to tap out. I'm going to allow someone else to come in and continue the great thing that, you know, I was and, and the great things that I've done. And, you know, whether you agree with him or not, he, he says all this stuff. You know, I, I'm, 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 I'm leading the world's greatest economy. It's the greatest. It's the bigliest. You've never seen an economy like this. Nobody has seen it, right? I would just go out on that high horse and, you know, get on the circuit and go go find a real billion dollars, you know, which he says he has. Go go make another couple of billion and uh, get back to using the influence that you've acquired in the White House to try to dodge a criminal prosecution. Um, but that's just me. Who knows? I think that's the only shot that the left or the country has at Trump not getting reelected is if somebody strokes his ego enough to convince him that his work here is done, right? You can go and uh, be Donald Trump again. It's not going to happen. Um, and it's not going to happen. And, and and if Warren is the candidate, he's going to wipe the floor with her, not just for the Pocahontas stuff, but for this for this spending stuff. I'm looking at the chart right now. I'll put a link up to. And so she's proposing over 30 trillion dollars in spending um, and the taxes on the one percent, the billionaires. You can talk about that all you want, but that's only three trillion of the dollars she's proposing getting the money. So three trillion of that 30 trillion would come from taxes on the one percent. You know where the bulk of it would come from? The bulk of it, 8.8 trillion, would come from increased payroll taxes, it's employer taxes. People aren't going to stand for that once the details are revealed. Once there's not 13 people standing on the stage and it's one on one, she will get eviscerated for this. I absolutely agree with you, 100. percent What else you got, Mister? What else you got, Mister? Mister Hodge? I know you wanted to talk about long-term data storage. I do, and. And we can end there. It's not a, a true feel-good story, but I just think it's fascinating, one, because I don't understand it, and two, because I totally get why it's necessary. So the backdrop is this. Um, we're just producing too much data, whether it's songs and movies or you know the 50,000 50, spreadsheets I have on Google Documents or you know whatever it is. It's, we're just producing data and producing data. And plus, we'd like to archive all the stuff that we already have, you know, famous texts and Bibles and works of art and all that kind of stuff. And so the problem is now um, the mediums of storage we have, you know, flash drives and external hard drives, um, et cetera, while they are uh, greatly improving in the amount of capacity they can hold and 
and their durability, they're not really geared to store things for hundreds or thousands of years if we want to store things right for like the future of humanity. And so um, we're trying to come up now, not me, uh, people smarter than me are coming up with ways to store. <laughs> Um, to store this that can last for thousands of years um, and and be small enough that, um, you know, it's reasonable to store it. So I just wanted to go over quickly two of the ways we're doing that. One is through fucking DNA. It's crazy, Gerardo. Like they're, they're structuring um, the DNA helix to form, you know, readable code, basically. Um, and so they can put DNA basically like in a pill. Think of like a, one pill of penicillin, like a pill capsule, right? They can put Donald DNA Trump would love that <laughs> to become storage. Right. And so I was just like mind blown. I was reading this on the plane the other day. And then the reason I wanted to talk about this is because I saw another article about it just this week, not the DNA, but um, storing stuff on glass, which I just thought was fascinating. So they're starting to etch tiny, tiny little pieces of um, glass to store these um, well, data on, and there's already being tests done where they're trying to, to, to store movies by carving certain little tiny patterns. I'm talking like on a nanoscale into, into glass. And it's just, you know, as a, as a Luddite, when it comes to coding and developing and those sort of things, I don't even know how, um, an individual could come up, let alone execute on something like that. And so I'll put the links up, but data storage and i know you remember the floppy disks and then the hard disks and then the the cds and now the thumb drives but this is like this is like take it 10 levels beyond that so just thought it was interesting no it's absolutely fascinating and the other fascinating aspect of it is it's, it's so hard frankly not really understanding the consequences of being able to do this right and that's one of those conversations where you know we 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 got to ask ourselves as a society whether or not we really have a handle on you know all the different mutations that could happen as a result of this and i'm not smart enough to answer that but um i know it is a question that probably should be asked by the people that are smart enough um and, and i don't know that you know i don't know that those questions have been asked is it just a you know a a a, a, a ploy to make money and we'll just see where it goes um i don't know i, I don't know the answer to that question no and it's you know sort of like just the how the way the internet evolved and now we're sort of in this spot now where everybody's just now starting to say, hey, wait a minute, what are these companies doing with all our data? And hey, you know, what was in that fine print that I just clicked through a thousand times? You know what I mean? And how that's all coming back now. You mentioned the Snowden interview where he's talking about all the data that Google has, et cetera. Um, nobody was asking those questions in, you know, 1996, 1997, the turn of the millennium. So maybe, and hopefully we've learned our lesson. I think uh, we'll leave with this. I think the cannabis market either is at a top, and we know that's not the case, or it's at a bottom. So Drake just landed a cannabis pot deal in Toronto. And so Mr. Drake, Mr. Aubrey Graham, has done very well for himself, um, him and his team, with his outside of music investment. So this is interesting. He... Uh, he, he inked a deal with uh, Canopy Growth. I'm curious about that. I know that you've long said that you believe, obviously, we're in the early stages of a major trend. I think anybody that's reasonable would agree. I think we all agree that most of the companies will go away because they're not real companies. But if you can identify the real ones, you could probably do well if you have some patience, kind of like the junior resource space right now, right? But yeah, I, I, I thought it was interesting. Um, any thoughts there? 
Yeah, I mentioned a couple of weeks ago on the podcast, I thought the cannabis sphere was approaching uh, a bottom. And I, I think the amount of fanfare around this announcement, um, given the real impact that Drake could probably have, and I'm saying that facetiously, I don't think, you know, Drake can impact a, a multi-billion dollar company all that much for one way or the other. And there have been numerous other celebrities in this market, um, you know, from Dan Bilzerian to the gentleman from Kiss to... Um, Martha Stewart, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah. And so the, they ha they haven't really been driving the announcements and the fanfare that I've seen with this Drake thing. So it's just sort of something to talk about. And the fact that, you know, just another celebrity joining is generating the headlines means that there's not much else to talk about, right? Um, and so, yeah, firmly believe we're at, um, you know, another short-term bottom in cannabis, which we have seen numerous of, if you remember back before legalization in, in Canada. And so, like you say, natural evolution of the market. Um, next year, I think we'll start looking more at like EBITDA stories as, far, yeah. as opposed to like how many square feet you have under a, a grow light, like the metrics are going to change and it's going to become real. And I've been doing my due diligence. So stay tuned. I like it. Uh, side note, Miss AOC, who, who had a great Q&A session with uh, Facebook gentleman Mark Zuckerberg. That was great for all the, all the all the backlash she gets about being this and being that. Every time I see her questioning somebody, it's the most thorough and piercing questioning that I've seen out of public politics, the stuff we get to see in a very long time. Anyhow, she is working on a bill that would decriminalize um, marijuana use, but also the, the 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 research on psychedelics. And so she said she wants to do so. She's working on legislation that would legalize cannabis in the U.S., but do it in a humane way that doesn't exacerbate so many of the injustices from the war on drugs. I could care less what the politics of you people is. I think that's a great thing. And Vancouver's ready, baby, because the psychedelic slide decks have been a comment. <laughs> I love it. We'll leave it on that note. You're not going to get a stock of the week from me this week. I am going to task you with keeping an eye on the uranium sector next week, and we'll hopefully revisit that with some sort of news, but it should be interesting. Um, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday should be very interesting. Happy Veterans Day to all the veterans out there. I am Gerardo Del Real. This was episode 43 of Bizarro World. Mr. Nick Hodge, any parting words? Nope. See ya. Be nice to each other. Be kind to each other. Do something fun. It makes you a happy person. Bye, guys.